We are in part six of our series called Ambassadors for the Kingdom, and we go through the book of Philippians line by line. I entitled today's message, The King Supreme, and I want to talk about the fill in the blank that is in front of you, whether that's on your app or on the handout, with just a couple thoughts. Can we all agree that our relationship with God is precious? Yeah? We all agree on that. Therefore, if something is precious, you protect it, you guard it. And so what it means is that in this life, we need to keep it forefront. We need to keep it valuable to us. We need to keep Jesus, our one true love. And in order to do that, we need to fight against some other things. And what I mean is fighting against distraction. Y'all, there's so many things vying for our attention, pulling our eyes away, wanting to look this way, wanting to look that way, get involved in this, get involved in that, right? We got to fight that distraction and refocus on what matters. We need to fight things like religiousness and legalism because Jesus came to set us free and not to set up some weird system by which we try to earn our way to heaven. We got to resist that temptation to what? Be in control of everything and say, well, I'm going to earn my way into heaven. That's not going to happen. We're going to talk about that a lot today. But there's other things that we need to fight. We need to fight selfishness, right? There's this idea where it's all about us and we put God on the back burner. That's not a thing. That's not a thing for Christians. Jesus is always the most important. And we put other people ahead of ourselves, right? I mean, isn't that the way of Christ? We can't allow selfishness, which is so tempting, to creep up and steal stuff from us. The other thing is that we need to fight the enemy. We call him, whether we call him the devil or we call him Satan, whatever it is, there is an alive and active enemy trying to take us down. We got to resist that. And we got to resist the culture of our society that says that we can be lost in materialism, greed, pride, stuff like that. Once again, the whole point is we need to keep Christianity pure and simple and keep Jesus as the love of our life. What that means is whatever it costs you to fully be immersed in Christianity, it's worth the price. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Give all that you have to gain him. Give all that you have to gain him. There is nothing you're going to lose in this life for his sake that won't be worth it. Jesus is the most important thing in our entire lives. Would you turn with me to Philippians chapter 3? Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. It's about page 981. 981 will get you there. Now, not all of you have been in this entire series, so I'm going to recap it real fast for you. Because we've been going through the book of Philippians line by line, a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he had planted about a decade earlier. They had some of their leaders fighting and being divisive, and it was messing with their heads. They had some bad teachers coming through town. They were giving them bad ideas and information. That was messing with their head. And so Paul, as a very protective pastor, writes them this letter and starts bringing in some correction and saying, no, 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 don't get your head over here. Focus on this. Let's keep everything clear, right? That is the letter we're studying. So the first week we were together, we were reminded through Paul's words that we are all merely works in progress, right? We're all works in progress. God's not done with us yet. Some of us get real frustrated and get real down about the fact that we're not further along in our lives, right? How come I'm still wrestling with the same stupid stuff and what's going on in my life and how come I'm not, I'm, that person over there seems like they're worshiping better than I am and, and how, you're a work in progress. 
God's not done with you yet. Cut yourself some slack, man. We got a lot to grow still, yeah? The second week, we talked about the fact that we're better together. We're better together. We cannot live isolated Christian lives. Man, it's only when we're together that we can do stuff like I was just talking about, yeah? Which was, man, we're sponsoring 437 kids for Christmas to have presents that they would never have before. So in the name of Jesus, we can say, we bless you. How awesome is that? You can't do that on your own. That only happens when we're together as a family. 300 coats to go to those that are cold living on the streets. That doesn't happen individually. That only happens as a group. Man, as a family together, we can do greater things for the kingdom. It's how it was designed to be. Week three, we talked about the fact that we are walking displays for God, and sometimes God wants to display something we may not be on the same page about, right? That he may demonstrate this is what it looks like for a Christian to walk through difficult circumstances. We never pray for that. We always want those hard circumstances to go away. But what if God's plan is to demonstrate, listen, Satan, you think that you can put some pressure on my kids and they're going to cave and not love me anymore. I'm going to tell you this. And all kinds of stuff can hit them, and they're still going to call me their king. They're still going to love me. That makes you embarrassed, doesn't it? Right? That idea about glory rising from all of us following the Lord, no matter what our circumstances is. On week four, we had Pastor Matt Bach come up here and tell us through Paul's words that we are to live humble and unified lives. Humble and unified lives. And then last week when we were together, I talked about how we need to live those humble, connected lives out loud. We, we need to be able to display that God matters. He is alive and active right here, right now. We need to be not secret Christians. We need to be out loud Christians, not irritating Christians. That's a big difference. We need to be out loud with our love, with our kindness, with our generosity, with our forgiveness, with our patience. That's the stuff that should be out loud. Amen? All right, so this week we're going to dive into the idea that there, we all come with a lot of different baggage from our past, and a lot of that is religious baggage. And some of that stuff we got to shed off and move forward on what God has for us in the future. All right, if you haven't already, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Now, what we're about to read is going to sound super weird when I read it. It's going to sound very random. You came in out of your normal life, and now we're talking about these subjects, and you're going to go, yeah, I don't understand at all what you're talking about. Everyone feels that way. You're not the only one. When I get done with this and explain it, it's going to sound absolutely easy, simple, and obvious, right? So give me a second, but let's start reading together. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, here's what he said. He said, finally, my brothers and sisters, Rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Verse 2. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, 
a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. What the heck is he talking about? Man, that is so random, right? You come in and you're like, what? What are you saying? So let's just talk about the first thing that he says right off the bat. Rejoice in the Lord. Joy for Paul is a big deal. He says not only it twice in this particular book, but he says it in other letters. He's the one that coined that famous phrase that we all think about when it says, rejoice in the Lord, what? Always. And again, I say, rejoice. We know this verse. Joy is critical to the believer. Don't let anyone steal your joy. The minute your spirit starts going down, it's going to have a heavy weight on your body. We need to keep energized. You go, yeah, but my circumstances are messed up. Whoa, we look through our circumstances into who Jesus is and what he's doing and allow that to lift our spirits. We may say, man, my little part of the world is really struggling right now, but God is good and glorious and amazing and he's doing incredible things. Our team is winning even if I'm struggling right now. We gotta, amen? Yeah, come on. We gotta look through this stuff and say, my circumstances are not going to wreck my joy. I choose to keep my eyes on heaven. I choose to keep my eyes on what the Lord is doing. And therefore, I will live thankful, joyful lives. That's kind of what he's calling us to do. It's actually a command. Rejoice in the Lord. Then he all of a sudden takes this shift and he starts talking about circumcision. Now, let me explain something. Nothing says like the Christmas season, like <laughs> circumcision. So we're gonna talk about this, right? Right? I mean, how awkward is that? You're brand new to the church. Hey, welcome. We're talking about circumcision. Now, we start out and it's like, wow, that's super random. Hold on. When I get done talking about this, you're going to realize why this is such a big deal in this scripture. So let's, let's kind of zoom back, right? We know all the basics. Yeah, circumcision, the removal of the foreskin from the male. All right, we got that part. Why do we care? It goes back a long way, thousands and thousands of years. All right, so let's talk about this. Did you realize that that wasn't a Jewish thing? They didn't come up with this stuff. It wasn't like all of a sudden everybody else was doing it one way and they did it a different way. That is not true. As a matter of fact, uh, some archaeologists have found cave drawings that predate written history about circumcision. The Egyptians recorded it in 4000 B.C., that they were doing. This whole thing has been going on since the dawn of time. Circumcision wasn't new. As a matter of fact, even if we talk about Israel, you know when they went into the promised land? Do you realize that almost every people group in the promised land were circumcised? The Ammonites, the Moabites, the Midianites, all of them. The only one group that wasn't? Philistines. That's why in the David and Goliath story, he calls him, you uncircumcised Philistine. Which, by the way, please don't challenge other men in society that way. <laughs> Because the fact that you know that is weird, right? <laughs> Just kind of keep it on the down low, even if you got that info, right? All right, cool. Only two major people groups didn't circumcise. That was the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Now, the reason why all this matters is that in all this group, you have this guy who was raised in a polytheistic home, and God calls down to him, and he says, Abraham. I'm going to make you into a mighty people group. I'm going to make you my chosen people. Now, do you remember that he and his wife, Sarah, haven't had any kids? And he's going, how in the world 
are you going to provide me lineage? And what happened? Well, sure enough, God transformed the reproductive system and brought about a blessed child. Why is circumcision a mark? It's always a reminder of God's miracle through the reproductive process by which the promised child came through which we get the Messiah. So just understand, there's a lot of other meanings to it. There's a lot of other valuables to it. But this is a critical piece that it was always a mark from there forward that they would remember that God had done a mighty thing in their past. And you go, okay, so what does this have to do with with what we're reading now? By the time we advance to Jesus' day and Paul's day, we've had a couple other major empires rise up. And they didn't circumcise. Who was that? The Greeks and the Romans. By Jesus' day, all of the Middle East was run by the Roman Empire. So now, what used to be popular was very limited. The Jews were known as the circumcision group, meaning when they would do wrestling in the gymnasiums in the Greek side of things, they did that nude. They would know and make fun of the idea that the Jews were not like them. The Jews were always seen as different and odd to that society. So now all of a sudden you have the Jews are the circumcised, the Gentiles, the non-Jews are not. That all of a sudden starts to play in the church. Why? Because initially when Jesus Christ begins the new church and the Holy Spirit comes in in Pentecost, initially the entire church was Jewish. The entire Christian church was Jewish. But now, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes upon the Gentiles too and brings them in the church. And everyone starts going, "Uh uh-oh, so how do we live then? Like, do you guys have to become Jews and then you can become Christians? Like, because the way that it worked was if you ever wanted to be part of the chosen people of God in the past, you had to become Jewish. How did you become Jewish if you were a male? You got circumcised. So they said, all right, so we have this new church thing. For thousands and thousands of years, we've been doing the Jewish thing. So we still do that, right? And the Gentiles are like, "Uh, I hope not. (laughs) Because I am 35 years old, and that's a terrible idea. (laughs) So they come into the church, and so it starts creating some static, some tension, some problems, because they go, whoa, whoa, you guys aren't part of us. And they go, yeah, we are. We got the Holy Spirit. God thinks we're a part of you. And they're like, yeah, I don't know. So they had a council, the Jerusalem council. And there, Peter, which of course, and the other apostles, they have this big meeting. And they're like, all right, so how do we wrap our minds around this? So you're telling me that the Holy Spirit came down on non-Jews and he considers them equal and legitimate to us. Well, if that's the case and God already said they're okay, we don't need to be putting extra stuff on them, extra religious garbage on them. Leave them as they are. The outside doesn't matter. It's the inside that matters. And so they issued a new rule on the church that said how you are physically does not impact but some people weren't willing to bend to that rule. Some people were the legalists, the religious people, the systems people, and what they started saying was, you know what, Paul and Peter, they all keep saying that you don't have to. I'm telling you right now, you're not even saved if you don't. 
Now, there's some of you in this room that have really stubborn personalities, man. It is hard to get stuff through your head, right? And then there's some of you that are super softies, right? Anything I say, you're, you know, if I'm trying to talk about anybody in this room, you always assume it's you and it's negative, right? Okay, for all of you people, right, these are the ones that if someone walked up to you and said, you know you're not a Christian, right, you would fall apart. You'd be like, what do you mean I'm not a Christian? I, 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 I'm doing everything that I know. I mean, what do you, and they're like, nope, you got to go through this process. If you don't go through the process, you're not a Christian. You know how scary that is to a new believer? You know how scary it is to any believer? When someone starts telling you that your eternal existence is in danger because you didn't do something right. Man, so that's why Paul got so mad is he comes in as this protective pastor and he goes, how dare you come in and rock my believers that you would come in and tell them that they have to go through some what, some weird ritual thing and now they're suddenly gonna be acceptable to Jesus Christ? Listen, Jesus set us free and we don't need to be putting up with that. It's all Jesus or nothing. Don't tell me that it's Jesus plus this, plus this, plus this. That's not right. Get away from my kids and stop causing problems. So you see him step in here in the letter and he starts going, oh, and you wanna talk Jewishness? Let's go. He's like, I'm not no sloppy Gentile. I'm hardcore. You wanna talk about pedigree? You wanna talk about who I am? Let's go. I am a Hebrew of Hebrew. I am a Jew's Jew, man. I got everything nailed down. You wanna talk about the law? I'm a Pharisee. I got everything nailed down. I know this stuff backwards and forwards. You wanna talk about doing right stuff? I am blameless on paper. So I'm not looking for an out. I'm not looking for a way to squeak by. I'm not looking for anything. I'm telling you, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I know my entire history. So you wanna play the Jewish game? Let's play the Jewish game. And I don't rely on any of that. It, to me, all that doesn't matter. It is Jesus or it's nothing. Amen? Now, do you understand why this stuff is so important? Because it was tearing the church apart. So he comes in real strong and starts going back off. You're messing with the simple, honest Christianity, and I'm not putting up with that. All right, let's move forward. Pick it up in verse seven. He said, but whatever gain I had from being super Jewish, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as garbage, as rubbish, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ. What did he just say? He said, all that pedigree stuff, all that stuff that I knew, you guys, I was so hardcore Jewish that I killed Christians. Like, do you understand what that means? I thought I was doing God a favor. And then I found out I'm not even on his team. You know how embarrassing it is now to walk into a church and know that I put those family members in prison? You know how horrifying it is to come back and have to talk to the grandchildren of somebody that I had killed, like when I had Stephen martyred? You think that doesn't rip my guts out? Knowing that I stood against the very body of Christ? You, you always go back and you're trying to tell me, oh, I'm all good, I got my heaven ticket because I'm super Jewish. You guys, my super Jewishness didn't help me. 
As a matter of fact, it got me to where I had to unlearn some things and then learn them all over again. It would have been awesome if I would have just came in clear. I came in blank. That would have been great. Man, I've done stuff my entire life and now I'm trying to unthink it. That's hard. Okay, so let's make this very personal for us, right? Some of you came into Christianity and you just didn't have any real Christian background. You didn't have any religious background. You didn't have any of that. And so basically you came into it cold. And people are like, hey, do you know this Jesus? He died for your sins. You're like, what sin? Oh, okay. And then we start from there. Cool. For the rest of us that have religious background, that sounds awesome. Because a bunch of the rest of us, we had to unlearn some stuff, right? So let's talk about this. Let's say, for example, you came out of the Mormon church, and now you're in Bridgeway. And I start telling you stuff in the Bible, and you're like, uh, dude, I don't think that's how it works. Like, all my life, I've always done it this way. And now I'm telling you something different. Do you realize how frustrating it is to have to unlearn something and then relearn something? Let's say you came from a super legalistic church background. Everything was rules. They're telling you that the way you dress matters before God and, that, and they're telling you that you can't do this and you can't do this and you can't do this, but yet you're looking in the Bible and can't find it anywhere and everything's rules and regulations. All of a sudden you walk into Bridgeway and I start saying, you know what? God is really looking at the inside way more than the outside. It doesn't matter what you wear. Do you know that for a lot of us, that's really hard to believe? Because you go, I wanna believe you, pastor, but I got a million voices in my mind that tell me no. Maybe you came out of the Jehovah's Witness, right? You've been indoctrinated and you're, tra- you're going through the scriptures, your version of scriptures over and over and over again. And I come up here and I tell you about the freedom in Jesus. I start talking about the Trinity like it's fact. And you're going, I don't even understand what you're saying. Man, it's hard to unlearn stuff. You know, one that I've really come into contact with here a lot is a lot of you grew up in a version of Christianity that says that you have to be baptized to be saved, right? You were indoctrinated in that from your earliest time, not baptized, not going to heaven. And then I come up here and I go, baptism is very important, but not for the reason to get into heaven, You don't need to be baptized to get into heaven. And you're going, man, pastor, I wish that that were true. But I've had a lot of people in my life tell me that's not right. They tell me that I have to. And then I give you evidence, right? I go, well, I got a story that I think makes my point. Thief on the cross, right? I mean, he didn't get off the cross, go get baptized, get back on the cross, and then die. But Jesus said he was going to heaven. But even when I say something as clear as that, You still can't unlearn what you learned, and you still have a little bit of a nervousness that what if you get it wrong, right? You see, this is how Paul felt. Can you imagine the tension in the spirit of the Jewish people when they made the transition from thousands of years of doing it one way, and all of a sudden Jesus says, we're now doing it this way? I mean, do you understand the mind bender and how hard it was for them to figure that out? So Paul said, you know what? You guys are coming in here telling me that being super religious is your badge of honor. I'm telling you that that super religious stuff that I used to do is in my way, and I'm trying to find a way to shake it off. That's what he said. We have uh, small groups here at Bridgeway called Missional Communities, and we're gonna be talking this week about the idea of what do you need to let go of, of your religious background? Some of it might have been awesome. Some of it you might want to hang on to, right? Let's say you grew up in a tradition that taught you how to study God's word. 
That's awesome. Maybe you came from a tradition that had a very high view of God and tremendous respect. That's awesome. Maybe you grew up in a tradition, right, that maybe did a bunch of stuff that good about family and unity and all that. That's fantastic. But some of it also may have come with some other stuff that wasn't so awesome, right? So what in our religious background do we need to let go of? What do we need to hang on to? What do we need to praise God for? And what do we need to distance ourselves from? How can we engage with God's word afresh without that heavy bias and just let Jesus be Jesus? We're gonna be talking about that this week, all right? Okay, let's pick it up in verse nine. Continuing on, here's what he said. He said, man, talking about my life with Christ, I wanna be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law or rules and regulations, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, I'm a process, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, Sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet. What did he just say? He said, man, when everything is said and done, I don't want to be walking up to heaven's gates and saying, I'm here because I'm a good person. That's never going to fly. I'm never going to be good enough. I don't want to be coming up and trying to think that I earn my way in. I can't rely on religion. I got to rely on Jesus. So here's the difference between religion and faith. And I want to be real clear, Christianity is not a religion, it's a faith. Why? Because religion, by definition, is a system or process by which mankind rises up and earns their way to God. Faith means that's never going to work, so it turns it upside down and said, God, while we were unable, reached down and scooped us up out of his love and saved us. Y'all following me? That's a very, very important distinction because some of us still get into the, I'm into Jesus and I'm also trying to control my destiny. I'm into Jesus and I'm also trying to do good works so that he'll love me more. I'm all into Jesus, but I'm also, right? You'll find out if you have a little bit of a religious problem in areas like this. Let's say you pray for something and it doesn't happen and you go, oh, I know why it's not happening. I'm not good enough yet. If you ever say that in your head, you're probably struggling with religiousness. If you pray for something and it doesn't happen and you go, wow, there must be something that God's tracking on that I'm not tracking on because, man, I can't see it, but I trust him. I know he hears me. You're probably in faith. Y'all following me? So there's little telltale signs on whether or not you still got a religious thing going on in your spirit, right? If you find yourself constantly on other people and going, how come they're not living better, they're not living better, you probably have a little bit of a religious spirit going on. If you start going, man, if I'm saved, dang, God's got grace for you and you and you and you and you and dude, the fact that any of us are going to heaven is weird, right? You're probably hanging in faith, yeah? 
So what we're going to talk about also in our groups is this idea, right, of where is that religious stuff kind of coming into us, and where can we, like, push that off and go, you know what? It's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus or nothing, yeah? How do we purify out that faith? Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He didn't say, I got a bunch of rules and regulations for you to follow. He said, if you fall in love with me, I can organize out all the other stuff. He said, I want to work from the inside. You don't perform to get God to love you. God loves you, so you just live that out. You don't perform to get your salvation. You've already got the Holy Spirit and salvation. Now you just live it out. So in other words, Christianity is always about God pouring in and it changing on the way out, not the other way around. So we need to be talking about this idea of going, are we, are we really legit in our Christian views? Or are we really letting some of that religious stuff really get to us? Because I'll tell you what, Satan will use anything to distract you. And he may well use a little bit of fear and go, hey, I hear what that pastor's saying, but you know you need to be right. You need to be right or you're never going to get there. Ah, let's be careful of that stuff. All right, here we go. He said in verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Okay, here's what he said. When Jesus sets you free, don't lose ground. Don't slip back into that. I don't need you to go backwards. I need you to press forward into pure Christianity. You don't need to be constantly looking over your back and, well, what about this and what about this and what about that? I need you to focus and let's go forward with Jesus. I don't care about tomorrow. Let's do that. Now, here's what he didn't say. A lot of people pull this out of context. A lot of people are like, you can't judge me. Dude, that was yesterday. I'm forgetting yesterday. I'm moving on. I punched you yesterday. We need to forget that. <laughs> we just need to move forward, right? We need to look ahead, right? It's all right that I stole money out of your wallet. Let's forget that. Let's move forward. Okay. That is not what the Bible is saying. Let's try to keep it in context, right? Everyone's always looking for a don't judge me verse. Okay, whatever, right on. Then it says this in verse 17. Brothers and sisters, Paul said, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and even now tell you with tears, many walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What did he say? He said this. He said, guys, I need you to follow me as I follow Christ. And you're like, well, why not? Why do you say it that way? Aren't we all supposed to just follow Jesus? Yeah. Now, let me put a little caveat here. If you can just read the Gospels, learn a little bit about Jesus, and duplicate that in day-to-day -day life, dude, do that. That's awesome. Don't look at me at all, right? But that's kind of a far stretch for most of us. It's a little too far ahead. We need some practical tools. So here's an example that popped into my mind when I was doing study for this. It's like mountain climbing, right? Imagine that we're all mountain climbing. We're talking about really steep stuff, yeah? 
If we were all mountain climbing, imagine that Jesus is the one setting the course to the top of the mountain. He's way ahead. He's the only one what's called free climbing, right? So free climbing is there's no ropes, no nothing. You're just out there climbing. And then you nail in all the things that everyone else gets to link onto with their ropes, right? So he's free climbing, but he's way up there. Nobody else can free climb like that guy, right? Meanwhile, we still have to climb the mountain. And so there's sections between us and him, and who are we going to look at to figure out how to handle that next section? The person that's climbing right ahead of us, right? Because here's what the person ahead of us should say. Dude, I just climbed that one section, I tried to use that foothold and it broke away on me. Don't use that one. I need you guys to all go over on the right here. It's a little cleaner on the right. Then later on in the, in the climb, right? Hey, guys, I know it's gonna be a little bit of a jump, but I need you to use this handhold. I need you to spring off and grab that handhold. The rope will hold you, but I just need you to know, don't go out on this side, go out on this side. That's what Paul's saying. We're all still following Jesus. He's the one that's free climbing up top, but how are we supposed to climb today? Look at the role models ahead of you. They're going, dude, I just did that yesterday. That's why we can't live solitary, isolated lives. You need the people that are climbing ahead of you to tell you, man, how do we handle this parenting thing? Like, what in the world? They gave me this baby to take home with like no instruction booklet, <laughs> right? I thought maybe there'd be a tag and I checked the baby everywhere around. There's no instruction tag. How am I supposed to raise this kid as a believer? And you go, you know what? We had a chance to do that. We've walked through that. And then the other one's going, my marriage is falling apart. I mean, I can't see any way we're ever going to stay together. We're two different people. And then another believing couple comes up and goes, you know what? We had to walk through that same thing. And you know what? We had to finally end up walking with Jesus like this. And these are a couple of the adjustments that we made. Do you understand why it's so important to be in a family? Because you can look and talk to all those people that have just done it ahead of you. Now, do you take your eyes off Jesus and only put it on the climbers in front of you? No, because what if they start climbing off on another mountain? You keep Jesus in your sights, but you're looking for practicality in front of you. But make sure we're all heading the same direction. That's what he said. We need Christian role models. Here's the other thing he said. He said, man, there's some bad leaders out there. Not everybody is following Jesus. You know what? The way I see it, I know their end is destruction, so you don't want to follow them. Their God seems to be their belly, which... That may have a deeper view on gluttony or something that was going on at the time, but I know it at least means this. They're all about consuming. They're all about what they can get. When you find a leader that is all about what they can get, you don't wanna follow that leader. He said, here's the other thing. He said, their glory is their shame. They glory in that shame. In other words, they're even proud about how they live. You're like, you should be embarrassed. They're like, nope, I'm awesome. I got a bigger house, I got a better car, I got more attention, I got all kinds of fans and I'm famous all over the place. What do you got? See, if you wanna live life right, you follow me. That's when Paul said, their minds are so focused here, they think that stuff matters. Man, that's not where we keep our minds, right? Our citizenship is in heaven. At all times, we're thinking about, nope, you guys, an 80-year life here? 70-year life here, 100-year life here? You know how short that is in light of eternity? Are you serious? I'm supposed to focus on this? For what? Then I die and I don't get to keep it? That's stupid. 
Why wouldn't I want to parlay and do this life into my eternal life? Why wouldn't I keep my eyes fully focused on eternity and live that way? Wouldn't that make more sense? He said, that's the leader you want to follow. And then he says this. Yeah, amen. Amen. Praise God. He said, you know what? One day, Jesus is going to come back, and he's going to transform our bodies to be like his so we can live in eternity. I get asked this question a lot in Q&As. Are we going to recognize each other in heaven? I get, I get asked that question a lot, and here's my answer. I think biblically the answer is yes, but I would add a caveat. It'll take a little bit. And here's what I mean. Have you ever had a friend that went and came back from vacation a little bit different, right? And what I mean by that is all of a sudden the bags that were under their eyes are like a little less, and then they come back like with a tan, and you're like, dude, you used to be translucent like Pastor Lance. And then they're like, well, I have a tan now. You know, and then you start realizing they kind of they seem more relaxed, and they kind of have a bigger smile, and they laugh a little bit easier. That's from a little vacation. What do you think Jesus is going to do? Because here's my point. You get up into heaven. You know how many of us physically look like we have the weight of the world on our shoulders? You understand? It's affecting us. It's how we operate. A lot of us, our eyes look tired. A lot of us, our eyes look discouraged. A lot of us, we are barely even standing up straight. When we laugh, it's like a strained laugh because there's so much stuff going on in our world today. What happens when Jesus takes that load right off our back? What happens when he clears up our eyes and starts saying, you're okay now? What happens when the pain and regret of the past, he wipes away every tear and says, you don't need to worry about that anymore. I got you. What about all the fears and worries about, am I going to provide for my family when Jesus said, I have provided everything you need? When you get up into heaven, man, you're going to see people and be like, Jim, dang, you look good. I didn't even recognize you, man. Man, you, you haven't looked that good like ever. Right? I hardly even recognize you. Are we going to recognize each other? Yeah, but it's going to take a little bit, right? There's going to be a, Barbara, whoa, dang, right? Man, that's shiny-eyed Barbara. Check that out. That's awesome. The bottom line is that Jesus says, you guys, I know it's frustrating. I know what you're walking through is hard. What I'm telling you is I'm not done yet. I need you to give me some room to get my stuff done. And when I come back, we're gonna be all right. And until then, I want you to keep your eyes on the prize. I want you to keep it simple. I want you to remember, everything is about me, what I've done for you, not what you can do for me. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? Y'all, we can't get distracted. We've gotta keep our focus. Don't trust in your religious works. Lean into faith. Do you realize that faith really means this? That you trust that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did? that you're not hedging your bet, you just take all your eggs and put them in his basket and go, it's either Jesus or not, right? That's living by faith. Living by your own righteousness means you spend all your time straining to be something you're not. And I don't think that's the way of Jesus Christ. God's working on us, and one day we're gonna be all right. I'm gonna pray for us all, and when I say amen, this altar is open. We're gonna pray that this altar is anointed so that whatever needs that you have from the kingdom of God, you can come to these ambassadors right here. If you've never yet had an opportunity to start a relationship with Jesus, I can tell you this. Everything I talked about, that can be yours right here, right now. Today's your day. Today's your day of salvation. And you'd be like, I don't know how I can start that. You know what, that's what this prayer team is here for.
They'll tell you. They'll tell you. It's super simple, but it requires surrender. Can we do that? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you have been so good to us. In this season where there's a million distractions, I pray, Lord, that you would keep yourself right in the center of our eyesight. I pray that you would speak loud and above the roar of society. God, wherever we can, we're going to try to quiet that stuff down and get out into the quiet place where we can hear you. Lord, would you let us fall in love with you more so that the world pales in comparison? We let that stuff fall away. God, there are some of us that are discouraged. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage our spirits right now, that you would let us know that we are in process, that we're in transition, that, Lord, you're not done with us yet. And yes, you know we're frustrated. God, I pray that in the midst of all the difficulty, that we would glorify you, that we would not allow that to steal our joy, but that would be vibrant and alive on the inside. Lord, would you honor uh, our time today by anointing this altar? There's a lot of us that have some needs. We need to get personal with you. And Lord, we need this prayer team to be ready to go. So God, would you bless them so we might be blessed in Jesus' name, amen.